Well, thank you so much for joining us on Connecting the Diocese. My name is Jack Sosha, the host of this program produced by the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Today, we're going to talk about heroes. Now, heroes is a big, big word. And it does refer to people who are big, big, but not necessarily famous, famous. Just last week, there was a young lady, 18 years old. If you were to see her on the street coming out of high school, you would have looked at her and gone, oh, look at that outrageous red hair. How fake can it be? Look at those eyelashes that are about three inches sticking out of her eyes. Well, that 18-year-old girl rescued a helpless infant from electrocution when the storms that went through her state had a power line land on a car. It killed three people. There were treacherous patches of water and ice, and if you stepped on one of them where the circuit was being completed by this overhead power line, you too would be electrocuted. But she said, I just, just went in and did it. Grabbed that little baby, got that baby out of here. I work at a daycare center. A little closer to home, there was a guy driving down the road in his pickup truck with his baseball cap on. It looked like a million guys you see driving down the road in their pickup trucks with their baseball caps on. But this guy noticed something. There was something in the water. Another pickup truck had slid off the road. The guy was trapped in the freezing water and was going to drown. Well, this guy stopped, got out of his pickup truck, went into the freezing water, and managed to get the guy untangled from the wreckage and get him out and saved his life. So there you have it. A high school girl with a little bit too much fondness for makeup and a typical guy in a pickup truck wearing his baseball cap. Both heroes. We're going to be hearing a lot more about another hero, a quiet hero. A hero you may not have heard of unless maybe you're familiar with some of the history around Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Be back after this on Connecting the Diocese. A recent press release from the Federal Trade Commission reminded me of an old story that was told mostly in motivational and sales seminars. I'll make it quick. A rich and benevolent king, reaching a somewhat advanced age, realized he really didn't know much about the wisdom of the world, so he sent out ten scholars to scour the world for all of the great information and each bring back one condensed volume of the collected wisdom. He gave them ten years, and ten years passed, and they came back with ten gigantic volumes. By that time, he had gotten quite a bit older, and so he said, gentlemen, I'm sorry to do this to you, but can you condense it down to just one volume? You've got five years. They came back in five years with one distilled volume of the world's wisdom. By then, the king had gotten quite old. His vision wasn't very good. He was in very failing health. He says, gentlemen, I would want you to knock it down to one chapter, but I really don't think there's even time for that. Can you reduce it down to one page with one sentence with all the distilled wisdom of the world? Come back as quickly as you can. They came back in six months. The king was literally on his deathbed. They handed them this piece of parchment with one sentence on it, with all the wisdom of the world distilled down. He read it. He went, ah, that is wisdom. And then he passed away. The parchment fell to the floor. One of his aides picked it up to see what they wrote. And there it was in one sentence. There ain't no free lunch. The Federal Trade Commission has gone after TurboTax, the online tax preparation people, because for years they've been claiming they're going to give you free tax returns, and yet there was always some reason, some form that needed to be done that required a charge, so that almost no one who went there for the free tax return ever got a free tax return. There ain't no free lunch. The IRS itself offers online free tax assistance. The Veterans Administration has tax assistance for veterans. People with lower income can get free tax returns done from legitimate organizations. Just ask around. Talk to your local bank. Check with Catholic Charities. Talk to your local pastor. There is help available that is legitimate. But it won't be in some pop-up ad on the Internet. Catholic News and Interviews. This is Connecting the Diocese.
Well, I want to welcome back to the show after a very, very long absence. Amazing. Uh, Father Alan Guinella, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. We were talking to you roughly after you were newly ordained. And how long ago was that? Uh, Ten years this past summer I was ordained. So, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It isn't like we forget you. It's just like, well, my goodness, ten years has gone by really quick. That was practically the beginning of our, our recording sessions here. That's amazing. Yeah, I think I was one of the first uh, first ones to be ordained to be interviewed. And where are you serving currently? Currently, I'm the pastor of Our Lady Queen of Heaven Parish in Wisconsin Rapids. I'm there with Father Stephen Weller, who is the associate pastor, but also the chaplain at Assumption High School, Assumption Middle School. And at the diocese, I serve as the adjunct judicial vicar in the marriage tribunal as well. I have a degree in canon law, and so I support the diocese uh, using that degree in canon law as well. And I, I have seen that you have written some explanatory things that appear on certain approved websites that explain how stuff happens and why it happens. Yes, uh, uh, sometimes it's the canon lawyers that have to get involved to try to explain things, but I'm happy to do that and try to explain things for, for everyone to understand. There was just an article in the Washington Post having nothing to do with Catholics, but it had to do with a uh, an online ad hoc minister who had been selling some kind of a very, very... Uh, uh, off-kilter bitcoins to his parishioners. And when the whole thing blew up, he said that, well, I thought God told me that, but maybe I didn't hear him correctly. <laughs> Somebody actually mentioned that that uh, in canon law or the church law for the Catholic Church, private revelations are fine, but you can't do stuff with them publicly. You can't become a church or do whatever. And I was thinking, wow, somebody's actually learning their stuff for a change around here. <laughs> There is a reason why it's called private, not public. Public revelation ended, so yeah, yeah. private revelation exists, but we're not going to not going to base public things on it. And, and don't start selling bad bitcoins because of it. <laughs> no, I, I'm not here to give financial advice. Yeah, I, I think I'd right. Stay stay wary of that. Right? Yeah, but it's wonderful that we have this kind of clarity available, and also that we have the vehicles. Uh, this show, the magazine, uh, parish bulletins, talks, you know, all kinds of new media explaining why the church does what it does, uh, because it comes in handy. Absolutely. I'm always happy to, to work with parishes and pastors, priests, even emails from lay people who you know want to help explain something or, or if they have a question about something. So I'm happy to be able to do that and, and, and use my education uh, in that way. Yeah. James Miller was a young guy born in Stevens Point. And, he was. And he was one of these people we talk about who felt a tug relatively early on. And uh, can you tell us what the progression was? Where did he go to school? What did he do? Sure. So uh, Brother James Miller, who became a Christian brother, uh, a member of the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools, founded by St. John Baptist de La Salle in 1725, uh, was born outside of Stevens Point um, in a little community called Ellis on Highway 66 in Portage County. And there, the family had a farm, and he was uh, born in Stevens Point, grew up on the farm, went to the local one-room schoolhouse, and worked on the farm. He was a, a pious young boy, uh, going to church at St. Martin's Church in Ellis, which has uh, since been closed and is now part of Sacred Heart Parish in Polonia, which is just two miles up the road. I was pastor there for uh, two years. Uh, before my current assignment. And when he came of age, he went to 
Pacelli High School in Stevens Point, which the Christian brothers taught at. And this is where he had his first experience of seeing the brothers. After a year in Pacelli at Stevens Point, he decided to join the brothers' kind of junior high school, uh, junior college, uh, which was a high school in Glencoe, Missouri, Uh, for those who considered a vocation to the brothers or priesthood or religious life and uh, ended up going there to Glencoe, Missouri uh, to finish out high school. From what I read, and I was looking at internet sources, there's a Wikipedia thing, there's all kinds of different things. He would be best described as being just a nice guy, unassuming. Uh, It said that he wasn't big into sports, but he liked doing a lot of work. With, and that he was just a, a pleasant fellow that uh, people just got along with. You know, he was not a not a, a showboat by any means. Right. And, no, Brother James Miller, he was born in 1944. I should mention this as well. So we, we have our, our dates right here. And he was martyred in 1982. He uh, was premature at birth. And, you know, people wondered whether or not he would be a small boy. Well, no, he grew up to be a, a big strapping lad, uh, a farm, hard worker, farm worker, and it was very uh, nice. He had a great sense of humor. He loved to talk, loved to talk about the farm, loved to discuss agriculture and animals, but, but also, you know, very pious, very religious, uh, a, a good student. Um, later in life, when he was in high school and, and college, you know, he he was an average student, but he excelled in Spanish, which would have uh, came in handy later, as we'll get into. And uh, just a, a very uh, likable, nice, uh, easy to talk to person. Hmm. And also, you mentioned uh, you know he was becoming a, a brother. Can you explain in the hierarchy of things where the brothers are positioned? Sure. So you know we think of of uh, priests, of course, as as one vocation in the church, but then we have consecrated men and women. Consecrated women we think of as as sisters who are active, but also uh, nuns who are often cloistered or almost always cloistered praying. But then religious men uh, are sometimes priests, sometimes brothers. Uh, but there are certain orders institutes in the church that are made up entirely of brothers, that they don't have any priests, no priest members, or very few priest members, really only for their own needs. The brothers of the Christian schools, uh, known as the Christian brothers, uh, or the French Christian brothers, to differentiate them from the Irish Christian brothers, uh, as I said at the beginning, were founded in 1725 by St. John Baptist de La Salle, uh, in France uh, as a teaching order. And to this day, their uh, main apostolate is teaching uh, and uh, running in educational institutions, high schools, colleges, uh, St. Mary's University of Minnesota, uh, which was Brother James's alma mater and is also my alma mater, uh, is operated by the Christian Brothers, Lewis University uh, as well. Uh, there's uh, St. Mary's College in California, various different educational uh, institutions run by the Christian Brothers. But one of the things that has always been a part of the Christian Brothers is education to the poor, uh, to those who might not be able to receive an education. This was certainly true in, in France at their founding, uh, you know, to get the, the street children off of the streets, to give them an edu- education. And so often, uh, much of our modern educational system 
uh, and, and teachers uh, is based on what St. John Baptist de La Salle uh, wrote and uh, asked his teachers to provide as well. So brothers uh, are not priests. They take vows. They are religious men. Uh, they're part of a religious community, uh, but most um, brothers, uh, if they're not part of a, an order that has priests, like Franciscans or Dominicans have priests and brothers, uh, there are some orders that have only brothers, uh, the Christian brothers being one, and that's able then to allow them to focus entirely on education, uh, education of youth uh, and, and young adults, of course, in, in college and university as well. So these are are men who have given their entire life uh, to to God through their institute, through vows. It's interesting because, you know, back in the 1700s and, and probably even in, well into the 1800s, uh, the concept of a, of a universal education was not accepted as being, why bother, you know? Right, and, you know, at this time, especially as St. John Baptist de La Salle was beginning his his work in education, education was, was by tutor. Uh, this was one-on-one -on -one education, tutoring uh, with a, a, a teacher or a governess or something like that. But St. John Baptist de La Salle kind of founded the one-room schoolhouse approach of multiple uh, students with multiple levels being taught by a teacher. Uh, and regardless of, of class or um, ability to pay, and this was not easy. Uh, this was not an easy thing. Uh, the life of St. John Baptist de La Salle is, is, is a wonderful uh, read, a wonderful uh, uh, something to, to look at uh, if you're looking for a book on a saint. This uh, idea of the one-room schoolhouse is not necessarily something that uh, uh, died off in the 1800s because, as you say, he, uh, Brother James went to one in 1944, Right. My wife went to a grade school um, in the Owen Withy area, the Beehive School, that was sure. a, a one-room schoolhouse. And it, it's a big joke in our family because in fifth grade, she was at a one-room schoolhouse with a bubbler. And my fifth grade class was in New Jersey, was photographed on a brochure on school overcrowding. And so right. it's like we're in a bad situation comedy, you know. <laughs> she, he came from a totally different environment. But, uh, yeah, it was fascinating that I got to go to a couple of the Beehive School reunions. And, uh, you know, they're very fond of their education and the good times that they had with those one-room schoolhouses. And she got a very good education. Very. Good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Did he always have an interest in going to South America? It was kind of like Father Walieski always had this this curiosity about something was drawing him down there. No, exa that's exactly true. So after Brother James uh, finished his high school career, he decided to join the formation uh, to become a Christian brother and, and went through the novitiate, uh, the intense early preparation, and then was sent to uh, St. Mary's University of Minnesota, uh, then St. Mary's College in Winona, and began his, his educational studies there uh, and, and his religious uh, formation as well. And he uh, studied mostly Spanish, modern languages, uh, and I think partly because of his, his interest in studying the Spanish language, but also he did have a missionary heart, a very strong missionary spirit. And uh, after he was uh, finished his, his, his college degree, he ended up having to teach at Creighton-Durham Hall 
in St. Paul very early on. Uh, a teacher was, they were short a teacher, and so he was asked to go and teach in, in St. Paul. And there he was teaching Spanish, uh, and he was also known as, as Brother Fix-It. Uh, he did a lot of the maintenance work. He would shovel and remove the snow early on uh, in the school day and then come into class red-faced uh, because he, he was out in the snow. Interestingly enough, later on, when he came back from South America, he wrote about how much he hated snow. And even for this strapping farm boy uh, from central Wisconsin, he, he really disliked the snow after spending time uh, in South America. Uh, but he taught uh, in, in uh in St. Paul for some time, but then, you know, this missionary spirit, this desire uh, that God was calling him to South America was always there. And so he was sent to Nicaragua uh, and uh, sent to uh, teach and also then administer uh, the schools there in Puerto Cabezas in Nicaragua. Uh, and he spent a significant amount of time working there, uh, not just teaching, uh, but also in all of these other kind of educational uh, things there. Um, and teaching the, the children, administering the school. He had a, these were public government run schools uh, that were entrusted to the Christian brothers. And so uh, he was getting uh, monies available to try to help and, and to, to get the children to come. And, and he, was, he was quite a good administrator. Um, uh, but eventually, uh, when he, after some years in Nicaragua, the government, uh, because of the, the challenges of, of the government leadership and the danger uh, that it was uh, to be there, um, religious figures and, and Americans, uh, he decided to come back to the United States. He had every intention of returning to Nicaragua. Um, he left a letter there uh, and to say, I will be back. Uh, but he came back to the United States uh, for a time, um, but he did not end up going back to Nicaragua. Uh, after that, he he ended up in in um, in Guatemala. What uh, roughly what years were that that he was in Nicaragua? So Brother James was in Nicaragua from 1969 to 1979. So he was there for 10 years, uh, a very significant uh, period of time. He's most well known for being martyred in uh, Huatenango, Guatemala, but he was actually only in Guatemala for 13 months, yeah. uh, 1981 till his, his martyrdom in 1982. That was a period of time, you know, if you go back into your history books or whatever, when uh, uh, Nicaragua was in a real big uproar, and there was a lot of uh, uh, proxy fighting going on, basically, uh, all kinds of other countries involved in, in how that country should be run, and it got to be really ugly. And... Uh, Somewhere, I have a photograph I cut out of a magazine years ago of a priest standing in the middle of a small village, and one of the combatants, I mean, he's wearing fatigues. He could be a, a contra, he could be a sandinista, he could be a government guy, who knows? You know, we can't tell. But regardless of that, this guy had been shot, and he's, he's, he's grasping the, the, the robes of this priest, and the priest is holding him because he's dying. And I was going, wow, that is, that is just the thick of it, isn't it? It is, and there were so many uh, unknown martyrs uh, in, in South America, uh, in Nicaragua, in, in Guatemala during this time. Uh, Blessed Brother James Miller is the second American uh, to be beatified, uh, and the first is another one from South America, Blessed Stanley Rother, uh, who was uh, in Oklahoma. So. Both of these were, were missionaries in, in South America, uh, and 
one of the things that's interesting about when the cause for canonization, that is the, the petition, the, the process uh, for someone to become uh, beatified or canonized a saint, there were uh, four or five others, lay catechists, who were killed around the same time as Blessed Brother James Miller. And there was a hope that they could perhaps be beatified at the same time that Brother James Miller was. Uh, but when they were doing the, the uh, instruction, that is the, the gathering of, of evidence and testimony about his death and, and the, the situation around it, there were few people willing to give testimony. There was still a fear of the government. There was still a fear of, of retribution. And so there just was not the testimony available uh, to be able to, to, to bring those catechists. But these are still martyrs uh, for the most part. I mean, maybe not declared so by the church, but they were, they were killed in hatred of the faith and, and for what they, what they stood for and, and, and taught and believed in as well. Yeah, this picture was interesting because, again, it was this, this combatant who was shot. And here's this priest standing in the middle of this village or town or whatever it was. You know, probably were bullets flying around him. And all he's doing is, is tending to this guy who's dying. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the kind of thing that the average walking around person, uh, unless you were in the military in a war zone, can't imagine. That you're, you're trying, you're a priest, you're trying to bring the love of God to people and to help young people and to do all the things that priests do everywhere. But at the same time, there's people trying to kill you. Right. Yeah. There, there's, a gr there's a great line that is from a, a letter from Brother James Miller, or perhaps it was a, a, a conversation he had, but it's recorded that someone asked him, aren't you afraid? And he said, uh, with all of these bullets flying and machine guns going off in the street, that he said, of course I'm afraid. I've never prayed so fervently from under my bed uh, when he was in Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, this is a... Again, something that the average walking around person, myself included, uh, who has not been in, in legitimate harm's way, would have a hard time understanding. You know, I mean, you, your, your first reaction is sometimes, hey, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know. Right. But, well, and that's, that's a very interesting thing, because after Brother James came back to the United States, uh, he had a knee surgery and, and he spent some time in retreat and he was teaching uh, back at his old school, Creighton Durham Hall. And there was a lot of people who said that he should just remain in the United States, that it was too dangerous. He himself was going through uh, some vocational discernment at the time. He had considered uh, leaving the Christian brothers and he had considered becoming a, a Capuchin Franciscan priest. Uh, but he still felt this great call to uh, missionary work, whether that be in Latin America or perhaps with U.S. Hispanics. Um, and he had always felt perhaps a call uh, to become a priest. Uh, his brothers uh, remember this as well. Uh, his brothers are, are members of Sacred Heart Parish in Polonia, and I remember speaking to them about, you know, Brother James. And and he had written to the Capuchin Franciscans uh, when he was on a kind of a sabbatical and, uh, you know, wondering if this was something that might, that God might be calling him to. And and the Capuchins wrote back to say, you know, normally a, a vocation to become a Franciscan is because you're first called to Franciscan Capuchin life, not because you're called to be a priest or not because you're called simply to uh, work in one of the apostolates that the, the Franciscans have. And, and so he really gave his, his life, you know, to the, the, the brothers of the Christian schools and his work uh, and wanted to go to Guatemala. 
And there was some concern, even from his own religious superiors, whether or not this was something that, that he should do. Was this, his, was this where God was calling him? Was it safe? Uh, but he eventually was sent uh, to Guatemala. And there, uh, there were various educational institutions uh, in Huatenango. And he was asked to be the, the sub-director of the Casa Indígena, which is the, the indigenous school, sometimes known as the Indian school. Uh, this was for the indigenous um, students, you know, the descendants of, of the Mayans who would, would have ruled that area, uh, which is now Guatemala. Uh, and not only was it to give them an education, but they had a, a farm and they would, Brother James would teach them farming and agriculture, helping them um, to go back to their villages as well. So this was what he was doing. And there was some, uh, as you as you read uh, about his life, there was some kind of uh, difficult moments between him and, and the director because when he was in Nicaragua, he had been the administrator, the director of the school, and now he was not. And uh, that there was some, some difficulty there. Uh, one of the, the, the things about uh, Brother James that uh, he was known as a procrastinator and someone who was often late to prayers, uh, that, you know, coming in to prayer or to mass or, or you know, the liturgy of the hours kind of at the last moment. And when he was in Guatemala, this was true too, as he was out in the farm, he was in school. They say he put in these, you know, long 18-hour work days still tried to make it uh, to, to prayers and, you know, certainly mass in the morning. But, uh, you know, as a member of a religious community, there's a community life that is, is to be fostered and, and, and grown there too. And, and this was something that, you know, it's a, it's a fine balance. And, and, and uh, you know, there's a very uh, human part of Brother James. You know, he, was, he loved to talk. Uh, to, he could discuss anything, especially farming uh, and growing up in rural Wisconsin. But also this, this notion, you know, he's very human in the sense of he could procrastinate, that he could be late to, to prayer and, you know, run in at the last moment to community meals or something like that. Also, this is just a side note, but you mentioned that when he came back uh, from Nicaragua, he had to have knee surgery. Now, this is back in the late 70s. Uh, and having just gone through this, not personally, but with my wife, they're going to say it, it's going to take a year for you to be fully functioning again. And so, you know, right. he, he would have had a great reason to not go, go anywhere. Right. And, and he, he was a young man. Yeah. Um, he was 37 years old when he was martyred. So, that, you know, and it was in 1981 uh, that uh, he returned briefly to St. Paul, Minneapolis yeah. uh, for a knee surgery. Uh, and there was a, a conversation, in fact, um, right at that time. And this conversation with the the assistant provincial, uh, so one of his religious superiors, and the conversation goes, you know, Jim, doesn't the thought of returning at this time to Guatemala frighten you? And Brother James responded, you don't think about that. There's too much to be done. You can't waste your energies worrying about what might happen. If it happens, it happens. This reminds me of some line from some movie that I saw years ago about these guys who were fighting in Korea and how courageous they were if they were captured to be prisoners of war. They were saying, yeah, some of these apple pie and a mom guys just can hold up to almost anything. And he does appear to have that kind of uh, quiet strength uh, without a lot of bravado. You know, I don't... I don't I... In, indeed. <laughs> and, and, you know, what, there's a letter that uh, he wrote that is, is very well um, reported. It was a letter to his former novice director, 
And he wrote, Aware of the many difficulties and risks, we continue to work with faith and hope and trust in divine providence. I have been a Christian brother for nearly 20 years now, and my commitment to my vocation grows steadily stronger in my work in Central America. I pray to God for the grace and strength to serve him faithfully among the poor and oppressed of Guatemala. I place my life in his providence. I place my trust in him. And this is this really shows, you know, the 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 strength he had, the trust in God. But also, there's a a very famous meditation that Saint John Baptist de La Salle wrote for his brothers, that his brothers should be willing to give everything, including their life, for their students. And and this is really what Brother James did. Uh, at the time that he was martyred, uh, there was a uh, a report that came out that one of the the subdirectors of of the school um, of the of the center would be martyred and he was one of three and even the american embassy had warned them about this and and the subdirectors were trying to you know kind of stay inside but on that fateful day of february 13th 1982 he was outside on the street fixing a wall on the ladder and there uh, was a, a student with him and he sent the student in to, I don't know, return some tools or pick something up. I, I don't remember exactly. And uh, three gunmen came and, and shot him right there um, on the ladder uh, and he fell off the ladder and, and, and died from his gunshots and the loss of blood uh, right there. And he was martyred right on the street. Uh, it was it was quite a martyrdom. Yes, and it's hard to understand, and I don't have a complete understanding of the political situation then, but why did they not want priests educating kids? That's a good question. Most countries, the object of the game is to elevate your populace, to educate them, to help them make a living, to have more social stability, these are all the things the Catholic Church tries to do. They try to educate people, social stability, moral stability, uh, you know, everything from the Ten Commandments to the Golden Rule. Uh, why would a government say, we don't want you teaching that? It doesn't make, right. any, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so one of the things that happened was that there was a diplomatic note from the Guatemalan foreign ministry after his martyrdom about, you know, what was the status of the investigation and that according to the Guatemalan authorities, Brother James Miller had been cooperating with the government of Guatemala, Guatemala security forces and was probably murdered by subversive criminal elements because of this cooperation. Uh, but one of the other brothers there, you know, said these assertions were groundless and, and very distressing. Uh, so even, even the, the notion of what happened, you know, and there really wasn't much of a, an investigation that took place at this time. The, the government and, and the national police and the army were all colluded together, and uh, there, was, there was a great amount of, of investigation that was um, proposed, even from uh, the U.S. government and, and things, but it, it really didn't happen. Um, uh, and, and there were many martyrs, including Brother James Miller at this time. Yeah, there is this, always a situation where there, one group, they, they want to instruct you in a certain way, and it may be in a, a godless socialism kind of way, and they, they really don't want any t teaching that from a church to conflict with what they're saying. Everyone, they, everybody wants to mold the minds of the populace in their own particular image. And, uh, 
And, yeah, and and as it is, I mean, so Brother James was was uh, repatriated to to the United States. Um, some of the brothers did stay there, and and in fact, the Casa Indígena uh, is now uh, named after him, Hermano yeah. Santiago Miller. So it, it's named after him. Um, so the brothers, I mean, this did not stop the brothers from their work in uh, Guatemala either. Uh, Brother James was brought back to. St. Paul in Minneapolis, there, there was a funeral uh, held at, at the cathedral uh, in St. Paul, and then uh, there was a, a second funeral held uh, at Sacred Heart Parish in Polonia, uh, my former parish where I was pastor of, uh, and that was, you know, kind of the, the family funeral, the local funeral, and then his body was taken the, the two miles uh, to St. Martin Cemetery in Ellis, uh, just down Highway 66 towards Stevens Point, and there he is buried in the in the family plot, uh, but just behind St. Martin's Church, uh, which is is no longer a functioning church, although the building still stands. Uh, and it's it's open, it's outside. You can go anytime uh, and and visit the the grave of of Brother James Miller. I I have many times. I'm I, every time I drive by Ellis, I try to stop and and ask for. Blessed Brother James Miller's intercession. Well, the other thing is also that uh, you know our, our own Chris Ruff was very excited that we we it, it originally contacted me saying, "Can you mention that this anniversary is coming up on what February thirteenth, if I'm not mistaken?" So that yeah, so February thirteenth is the the anniversary, and it's also the liturgical feast day. Uh, Bishop Callahan has uh, asked the Holy See to to allow us to have uh, the liturgical feast day celebrated in our diocese, which the Holy See. Uh, permitted us and, and allowed us to do. And so within the Diocese of La Crosse, um, the, the liturgical feast day, uh, um, the memorial of, of Blessed Brother James Miller is celebrated every February 13th at Mass and, yeah. and, and in the Liturgy of the Hours. And so I said to Chris, I said, wait a minute, this is too big a story to be just saying, let's do a, a public service announcement saying this date is going to be this. Uh, most people probably don't know much about him. And this is also, to me, you know, this... Uh, this indicates to me or moves me, whatever what word you want to use, we don't always understand how much our priests sacrifice in so many different ways. Uh, when, you, when you join up, <laughs> when, you, when you are there and, and, and you, you take your vows, uh, you don't always know where you're going to end up. And sometimes you get to go where you'd like to go. Sometimes you discover that you're going to a place totally different, but you go. And other times... Uh, you end up in a situation that you probably never dreamed would happen. I understand that Father Walieski had death threats against him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The, is the, the life of, of Father Joe Walieski and Brother James Miller are, are remarkably similar. Um, and I think this is, this is what missionary life is like. Uh, it, you know, it is not exactly easy uh, to be a missionary, especially in South America during the times that they were uh, there as well. And, and bringing the gospel message, bringing the love of Jesus Christ is not always the, the in vogue thing to do. And there can be people who uh, are against that. We saw that with our Lord Jesus Christ as well. Uh, so, but you know, it takes a special person to, to want to do this. And, and, and it's, it's really a calling from God. And, and Brother James Miller certainly felt this. You know, he felt called uh, to, to do missionary work. Um, and, and he was one, I think, who would, have, who would have told his superiors he feels this. Uh, I think he would have been happy, you know, wherever. Uh, but when he, he came back to Creighton Durham Hall in, in, 
in in St. Paul, uh, and he was teaching there. He he even said he was bored. Um, he just this he just didn't feel at home after ten years in Nicaragua. Uh, he was bored with that, and and he was also distressed by the uh, the appearance of luxury uh, among the students, or and and how they were taking their study, how lightly they were taking their studies uh, after ten years of of teaching in South America. How much he saw, you know, the the desire to learn, and how much an education can afford a person. Uh, I think he saw, you know, that there was you know, a, a luxury, there was a lightness to study, and and all of this. Um, and, and I think that, that impacted him as well. Yes, where I went to college uh, in Santa Barbara, it was referred to as a party school. And, <laughs> and I don't think you find party schools in most of these uh, Central American countries. They're, they're pretty serious about what they're doing. We are so blessed to be able to go to these colleges where we're safe, we're not going to get you know, in trouble, and uh, in most cases things are, are pretty smooth. But uh, at the same time, you know, the, the, our local priests and our, our priests in the country here we're facing a different kind of, uh, I won't call it a threat necessarily, but we're facing a challenge because you've got people who, without really thinking about it, are saying, I don't need this stuff. They just walk, the, the, the so-called N-O-N-E's, the nuns who walk away. Right. The people who inevitably, if I read any online um, comments about religion, <laughs> you just first you brace yourself and you go, there's always the, there's always the guy who writes... Well, if they want to believe about the fairy men in the sky, it's up to them. I have nothing to do with it. You know, it's like, shut up. But, <laughs> but you don't say that to them because you've got to be nicer to that. But, uh, you know, we're dealing with this rather obstinate uh, dismissal in a very arrogant way of the whole concept of religion. Right. Well, and, and Brother James especially, you know, we don't really know what his political affiliation was or, or where he fell on any sort of political spectrum, um, we don't really care to, to you know, to say, to, to no. tell you the truth, because it's about teaching, it's about caring for, uh, especially in Guatemala, the indigenous children, it's about bringing the love of Jesus Christ, and, and also the help that he was able to do as um, as, as brother fix it and and as 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 a farmer uh, even when he came back to the United States he took a class in welding so that he could help and 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 you know bring bring the trades uh, you know carpentry welding uh, to those who needed it and so you know sometimes people say oh you know how much did he uh, work with the government or agree with the government um, you know, this was to always help the teachers, help the students, help those that were entrusted to his care. And, and that's what's really important um, is that, you know, and a martyr is a martyr because he was killed because of the faith. This is one of the most important things is that the, the church declares a martyr when you were killed uh, because of the faith, that, that uh, there was a hatred of the faith. And so by the church declaring Brother James Miller a martyr, it was he was killed because of the faith. And that's, that's a very important thing yeah. uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, that photo that I have held on to of that priest holding that combatant who's dying, the, the priest wasn't asking him which side he was on. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he, he wasn't doing that. Uh, and Sometimes it's difficult for both governments and, and individuals or even groups to even understand that sometimes people just want to help people. You know, so in one of the uh, meditations that St. John Baptist de La Salle wrote for his brothers, he said, After spending your life in the performance of such a holy work, 
do not expect to receive any other recompense than to suffer and to die as Jesus Christ did in sorrow. And, you know, the, the, the brothers read these meditations. This is part of their formation, uh, that education and education of the poor is, is most important. Uh, and that there, there was an understanding that, you know, we're going to give everything. And uh, I wrote a homily some years ago. It's available online in different places for the feast day of, of Blessed Brother James Miller. One of the mottos of the, the Christian brothers is sinium fidei, the sign of faith. And that you have to be a sign of faith in a dark world and among those who don't want to see uh, the light of Jesus Christ. And how he was a light uh, in those dark areas, but also historically uh, when there was the, the beginnings of, of the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools, the, the, the core group got together and made what is now known as the heroic vow. A vow to say, we're going to be with this, we're going to deal, do this, we're going to do everything we can to make this succeed, even if it leaves us destitute, even if we are penniless. We're going to vow to keep this, uh, this, this institute together. And, and of course they are, uh, and, and, it, and, and you know, they, they were not penniless. And there were dark days, there were challenging days. Uh, but you know, in a way, the, Brother Miller would have known all of this. This was part of, of his life as a religious brother and, and was willing to give it all and willing to give everything. Uh, yeah, there was an easier way to do it. There was an easier way to, to stay safe, but God called him and you know, I, I love the line, I trust in God's providence. This is what Brother Miller was about, was trusting in God, uh, even if that meant being martyred for the faith. Something we should all be able to say, uh, few of us will be asked to be martyred, but ah. Brother James was. We've been mentioning that he is now blessed Brother James, uh, and this is part of the process of becoming sainthood. Can you, again, for people who haven't run across this, in other places. Can you briefly explain the process of, of sainthood, or the steps? Sure. So, so uh, whenever there is a, a holy man or woman who, who dies, uh, normally uh, there would uh, be an interest in opening a cause. Uh, cause here is used in the term of like case or, or um, process to become a saint, a cause for canonization. And the diocese would open this, uh, sometimes a religious order uh, for its own members. Uh, and this was the case in uh, Brother James Miller's uh, cause for canonization. It was the Diocese of Guatanango in Guatemala uh, with assistance of the Brothers of the Christian Schools who started the cause. And this then is, is a study into the life, into the, the history, the biography, many interviews and gathering of documents and information, anything he's written, where he spent time. And so in the case of, of Brother James Miller, there were interviews done, many in Huatanango, but also in Chicago, where many of the brothers who knew him reside or resided. And then also here in the Diocese of La Crosse in Stevens Point, uh, his family was interviewed uh, in Stevens Point uh, for his cause of canonization. All of this information is, is put together in a, in a, in a giant uh, document. And then uh, this is given by the, the postulator uh, for the cause of canonization uh, to Rome. And, and there in Rome, there's another uh, person called a relator who, who is working on the case. And eventually this will go to uh, the Vatican. And the Vatican will, will spend time studying this. 
In the case of Brother James Miller, because he was martyred, uh, it was asked that he be declared a martyr. And uh, the, the commission would look at this, and it was clear uh, by the, the theologians and the cardinals uh, who are on uh, the, the dicastery for the causes of saints uh, that he was indeed a martyr, that he met the requirements for martyrdom. And because he was a martyr, he was able to be beatified, that is, uh, named blessed, the, the first step, uh, although there's lots of steps. Um, this is the last step, so to speak, before being named a saint. If you are not a martyr, uh, usually there is a required miracle, uh, a miraculous healing uh, attributed to your intercession that is required. But martyrs don't need this, this required miracle. And so on October 2nd, 2018, uh, the commission uh, rec recommended that the, the cause continue on November 8th the decree of martyrdom was issued, that he was indeed a martyr. And then on December 7th, 2019, he was beatified in Huatenango. Uh, and there was a, a large mass and uh, in Huatenango, uh, right there uh, at, at the, the school center, uh, a number of, of um, people from the Diocese of La Crosse, some priests and, and members of Brother James's family were there in attendance. Uh, and, and Brother James was declared blessed. And this means that um, in those areas where he served or where he had a connection, like the Diocese of La Crosse, the Diocese of Watanango, St. Mary's University of Minnesota, Creighton-Durham Hall, he can in, be invoked publicly uh, for intercession. Prayers can be said. Uh, the Mass can be said in his honor. Uh, this is not universally given. That's what happens when you're named a saint. Uh, as when you're named a saint, then that can be given to the universal church. So how does Brother James Miller become a saint? Uh, he would need a miraculous healing. Uh, that is a, a healing uh, attributed to his intercession. And so uh, that's why the, uh, Bishop Callahan uh, approved a prayer. And we have prayer cards uh, asking for Brother James's intercession uh, and, and to request that uh, Brother James intercede for us so that a miracle could be studied um, and and eventually that he might be canonized a saint uh, for the entire universal church there's a lot of information online right now and i i was just kind of pretty pleased i just typed in his name into google and of course up popped that wikipedia thing up popped sure. se several other uh, very nicely written uh, pieces, but there's also a book that I notice you're glancing down at. I'm just curious as to what 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 is this book that you that you got there? Sure. So so um, the book that I would recommend it, it's it's perhaps the most complete book right now in English. It, it's it's not very long. It's 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 70 pages long. Uh, is Hermano Santiago? That's Brother James in Spanish, as he was known uh, in South America. Hermano Santiago, The Life and Times of Brother James Miller. Uh, this was written by a Christian brother, Brother Theodore Draman. So this book was written to commemorate the 20th anniversary of Brother James's death. Uh, and then in 2018, shortly before he was beatified, uh, Brother Rodolfo Mioli, who is the postulator of the cause of, of uh canonization for Brother James, wrote a, a, an extra chapter to explain the process. Uh, this book is 
is published by the Christian Brothers Conference in the United States, and I believe it's available from St. Mary's Press in Winona as well. A short book. It's a good read. Um, I would really recommend everybody uh, take this, uh, get a copy of this. So Hermano Santiago, The Life and Times of Brother James Miller by Theodore Drammen. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I would recommend. Yes, I, and I have a question also now. What um, what drew you to being uh, quite familiar uh, with him? Well, it's interesting. So I began to know about Brother James Miller when I was a student myself at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. That was probably the first time I had heard of Brother James Miller uh, as an alumnus of, of St. Mary's University. Uh, he was well known as being a martyr, um, although that was not official yet. He, I mean, he was killed in Guatemala, and hopefully, you know, we all prayed that his his uh, martyrdom would be recognized by the church. There were a number of Christian brothers uh, at St. Mary's University, and there still are. And um, I, for a time, had considered joining the Christian brothers. Um, it's kind of uh, my my vocational story is perhaps opposite of of Brother James. He became a brother and had a had an idea of maybe becoming a priest, I became a priest instead of becoming a, a Christian brother. And uh, one, of, one of the brothers said to me um, that, he said, don't ever forget that there only has been one priest in the Christian brothers, our founder, St. John Baptist de La Salle. And if, if it was not for him, we would not exist. So don't, don't underestimate the importance of being a priest as well. Uh, when I went to seminary at the North American College in Rome, Italy, uh, I still knew many of the brothers and some of the brothers who were at their generalate, their headquarters in Rome, uh, I would keep in contact with. Uh, St. John Baptist de La Salle is buried in Rome uh, in the church at their generalate headquarters. When I was a deacon, uh, my first mass as a, a newly ordained deacon uh, was there at the tomb of St. John Baptist de La Salle. So I always uh, c- continued to know about Brother James Miller and, and to study his life. And then my first pastorate, serendipitously, uh, Bishop Callahan named me pastor, um, first administrator, then pastor, a canonical uh, difference, not, not very important, uh, at Sacred Heart Parish in Polonia. Uh, and St. Mary's Immaculate Conception Parish in Custer, just uh, uh, a few miles away. And and when I arrived, uh, you know, I drove right past Brother James Miller's uh, grave uh, going to the parish. And so, you know, I became the, the, the superintendent of the cemetery in which he was buried. And, and of course, there's, you know, so many people in Portage County who who knew Brother James. Uh, I mean, his, his brothers uh, are ushers at the parish. Uh, his sister lived close. Uh, so there was a great amount of knowledge about Brother James. And, and, you know, it was it was Jim Miller to the people around there. I mean, yes, Brother James, but he was Jim Miller, you know, the, the brother to, to Bill and Ralph. And, you know, so this was this was something that uh, was very common. Uh, while I was there, uh, we, we uh, was the, the beatification. So we, we uh, publicized that and we, we printed many prayer cards and copies of the homily and information. Uh, his anniversary of his martyrdom on February 13th was very well promoted in the parish. Bulletin boards and pictures and, and, and memorabilia. And then he was beatified. And so after that, but we always ended our Mass with Blessed Brother James Miller, pray for us. Uh, and on those feast day of February 13th, we were able uh, to have a relic of him 
uh, from his sister. She would bring that in, and, and we were able to, to have that for veneration as well. So I continue to have a, a de- great devotion to Blessed Brother James Miller, uh, and, and I recommend people learn about him. It's a very important saint, uh, an American saint, born here in central Wisconsin, uh, someone who you know was like us in many ways, uh, a, a farm boy, uh, you know, who felt a call from God and, and was you know instrumental uh, in bringing uh, education and, and faith uh, to to the youth in, in South America. And so, uh, you know, the book is very helpful. There's lots of resources on the internet, various uh, news articles, especially around his his uh, beatification. St. Mary's University has, has been strong in, in promoting Blessed Brother James Miller. Uh, Creighton Durham Hall has as well. Uh, and so these are great institutions uh, to learn more uh, from as well. Uh, and then, of course, our, our prayer, uh, the, the prayer for the intercession of Blessed Brother James Miller. Um, we should promote that uh, heavily, uh, and, and especially because we are asking for uh, his intercession so that there might be a miracle attributed to him through his intercession, especially those who are suffering from, from illness, uh, from disease, uh, you know, incurable type uh, things. You know, this is someone to, to, to ask for intercession. Uh, this would be a very important thing to have holy cards available. Maybe Brother Fix-It will fix it. Exactly, right? <laughs> it does seem like from what you're saying and from what I've read, it's just a general feeling that he was a quiet, kind, concerned, good person. And, you know, that's good. That's, that's, we need more people. Not everybody can be a showboat. Not everybody. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't need any more showboats, frankly, in this day and age. We've got enough influencers out there on, on YouTube and all this stuff going on. But you got these people who quietly do remarkable things. Who knows how many lives he touched down there how many young kids got an education and what they went on to do and how their lives were totally changed by this guy we just will never know at this point absolutely and it's so important because you know at his beatification the vast majority of people were from nicaragua and from huatanango guatemala these were people who uh who knew of him who who worked with him who perhaps were former students of his um, you know, he, he was martyred in 1982, so this isn't, you know, last year. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't just Americans who came down uh, for this. This was, was a very important uh, person in the life of, of Latin America. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also spent some time more than 10 years ago now doing a, a quickly edited, and I'm sure much been better done now, of uh, Father Waldeski's funeral. And uh, they take... And people taking turns carrying his casket. And one group were these post-middle-aged ladies who were carrying his <laughs> casket. And they were some of his original orphans that he had saved. Right, and you, absolutely. And you, you just sit there and you go, oh my goodness. You know, that it's almost incomprehensible that, that I could understand, you know, Monsignor Hirsch, you know, carry, but, but these ladies were carrying this casket of this guy who saved them from the streets. Right, absolutely. I, you know, how, how do you measure that kind of, uh, of goodness? You know, and I'm sure there's the same thing going on, you know, as, as the 13th comes up, there'll be people down there who are, who are remembering and people up here. But uh, yeah, again, you know, uh, Every priest, and I'm serious, every single priest you'll ever run across, I don't care where it is, 
somewhere, somehow in their careers will change the life of somebody forever. Absolutely. I, as you were mentioning how, you know, he was a, a, a good, hardworking, friendly, outgoing, kind of boisterous, who had a great laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in, in the book here, it, it's uh, written that when he was going to enter their high school training program in Glencoe, Missouri, his teachers gave him recommendations and it said that he was described as having a normal personality, neither quiet nor extrovert, and gave him the highest ratings in generosity, honesty, piety, docility, and described him as very orderly and neat. <laughs> and it's, it's said that his pastor gave him a recommendation, but would have liked to have seen him become a priest, yeah, not a brother. Yeah, right. I keep thinking that if you ask for his intercession and he does respond, he might be a little late. <laughs> maybe, maybe it uh, maybe yeah, yeah. it. Um, but you know, we we need we need role models in heaven. You know, examples oh, yeah, in heaven yeah. that are that are like us. And you know, this is someone who you know he he didn't like snow anymore, and you know could procrastinate a bit. And you know, this is someone who we can all relate to in some way, even if we don't speak Spanish, even if we <laughs> you know aren't feel called. We we don't feel called to be a missionary. Yeah, exactly. uh, this is someone we can relate to. Yeah. Well, Father Alan Good. Nella, we have managed, believe it or not, to burn up most of this hour. And I'm just so happy that you were able to be here and, and kind of flesh out the story of this quiet guy. And uh, now, again, February 13th is the date. February 13th is the date. Uh, and, you know, it would be great to to read about him, read about his life. Uh, but most importantly, say a prayer. Ask him for intercession uh, in your life and among your family as well. And if you find yourself in central Wisconsin on Highway 66 between uh, Stevens Point and Rosholt, uh, stop in Ellis and visit his grave there. Uh, it's covered in snow right now, I'm sure, uh, but there is a sign there that says Blessed Brother James Miller uh, right behind St. Martin's Church, a white church right there. You, you'll, you'll see it. Maybe on February 13th it'll be covered in flowers. We can hope. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Father, thank you so much for being here. We've been talking with Father Alan Gunella. We'll be right back on Connecting the Diocese. This is kind of a Saturday-only kind of thing, but if you're in the greater La Crosse area on Saturday and it gets a little crazy uh, all around Aquinas High School, there's a good reason. It is the 6th uh, to 8th grade Catholic school students from 19 different counties participating in the annual Brains and Brawn competition. That's right, from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Each school will field two teams to compete in different categories. One team will test their intellectual abilities in a challenging academic competition, which is the Brains part. While the other team will participate in the demanding basketball tournament, that's the brawn part. The tournament begins at 8 a.m. and concludes with Bishop Callahan celebrating Mass at St. Joseph the Workman Cathedral in La Crosse at 6 p.m., at which time he will also present awards to the winning teams. I know Bishop Callahan loves this particular event and talks about some of the great stuff and the funny stuff that goes on for literally weeks after it's over. So we probably will be talking with him in the future as to how the brains and bronze competition went. On a totally separate topic, and this probably would fit mostly into the brains part or lack thereof, got another message from the Federal Trade Commission. They said simply that the IRS, the Eternal Revenue Service, will not text you your refund. They will also not email you your refund. Apparently, there are some people going around saying, if you want to get your refund back more quickly, give us your text information or your email information, and that will guarantee that you'll get your refund more quickly. 
You know, I still kind of miss the good old days when you would get a hand-typed letter in the mail from some foreign country, and they were telling you that their uncle, who was a fabulously wealthy member of royalty, had died and left them quite a few millions of dollars, and they desperately needed a checking account or savings account that they could park it in just for a few months until they figure out what to do, and they would give you 10% of it. And of course, out of the whole wide world, they're writing to Jack. Just be careful out there, folks. Be careful. Jack Sosha with you in the last few seconds of Connecting the Diocese. I hope that you and yours stay healthy, happy, safe, and warm, and that you can help those who are not in as great a situation. I'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye now.